Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. You're listening to the QuickBook Reviews Podcast. Brighten your day with a book. Hello, my fellow bookworms. This is Philippa from QuickBook Reviews. How are you all? Are you okay? Because I'm not. So I don't know why I even set this up this way, but I'm recording this on the Friday in half term. And I I don't know. (laughs) Things are not going well. So I've served lunch and... This is no understatement to say that there is smoke in the kitchen. Don't worry, there is no fire. I've made sure everything's cooled down and is safe and fine. But uh, I've just, it's just not gone well at all. It's just, the rice didn't go well. The chicken burnt so badly. (laughs) Oh dear, I just, just let it be school again. And then I can just focus on work and books and then life will be much simpler. So, yes, we're we're on the last working day of half term and we're clinging on to sanity by the tips of our fingers. Um, But fortunately, we have some good books. We have some great books to tell you about. I've got a a real selection today, I have to say. Um, There's no theme. Uh, there's there's just some great books and one, I don't know. Uh, well, let me tell you all about them. So these are the books we're going to talk about today. The first one is called The Swift and the Harrier by Minette Walters. And we're going to talk to Minette as well in a little bit, which is very exciting. Then I'm going to talk to you about everything you really need to know about politics. And that's written by Jess Phillips. Then this is a reread of Doing Time by Jodie Taylor, because Jodie's coming on in a few weeks. So I wanted to uh, familiarise myself with the Time Police series again. Then we've got a book called 15 Minute Parenting by Joanna Fortune. And then finally, we've got Where the Forest Meets the Stars by Glendy Vandera. A selection, a real selection. And I think I should just get started because who knows what other calamity is going to happen. I think I should just tell you all about the first wonderful book. And this is The Swift and the Harrier. It's this gorgeous navy blue and sort of gold cover. Absolutely stunning. Um, Here's the blurb. Dorset, 1642. When bloody civil war breaks out between the king and parliament, families and communities across England are riven by different allegiances. 
A rare few choose neutrality. One such is Jane Swift, a Dorset physician from a royalist family who offers her services to both sides in the conflict. Through her dedication to treating the sick and wounded, regardless of belief, Jane becomes a witness to the brutality of war and the devastation it wreaks. Yet her recurring companion at every event is a man she should despise because he embraces civil war as the means to an end. She knows him as William Harrier, but is ignorant about every other aspect of his life. His past is a mystery and his future is uncertain. And let's read the first chapter. Um, oh, there's a lovely author's note about the historical side. That's good. And a map. Love a map. Um, and then there is a... There's another map and description of Swift and Harriet. No, I'm not. I'm going for the first proper sentence. Here we go. Are you ready for this? Chapter one. Dorchester, Dorset, 19th of August, 1642. As the hour for the priest's execution approached, the press of people heading for Gallows Hill grew denser and more impatient. Oh, I want to keep reading that to you. OK, what did I think about this book? I do not read a lot of history books because I find them hard to keep reading. I find it hard to visualise all that's going on and and I lose interest. With this one, no, I was riveted by the book. I was turning the page. I enjoyed learning about medical subjects and about the historical period of time. I liked the... Um, the personalities, the characters, it was one that made me care about the characters. But it was just written in a very sort of vibrant, full of life way. So whether you're a, a history buff or a history fluff. <laughs> yes, that, that's what happens when you've had a week of half term. Honestly, yes, we've already been doing the 2.30 jokes because my uh, interview with Minette is at 2.30. So the kids have already been yeah, laughing about the dentist implications of that. Anyway, yes. So whether you're a history buff or a history fluff, this is a great book, I think. Really enjoyed it. Um, and I learned a lot, but in a nice way. I didn't feel like I was being preached at or anything like that. I just enjoyed reading it. And as I read, I just learned more. So that is great. And I think enough of that. Let's go and talk to Minette now. So Minette Walters, author of The Wonderful, The Swift and The Harrier. Thank you so much for joining me today. Philippa, it's an absolute pleasure. Well, you've written so many books, so many brilliant books. I'm interested in why this one and why now? Do you know, uh, I, was, I was intrigued during Brexit with the uh, rows that went on in the House of Parliament and uh, the exactly the same kind of arguments were happening in the sort of 1630s, 1640. And it's what led, effectively, there were so many different factions in Parliament at that time that that is effectively what led to the Civil War. And I, I was fascinated by that. And also living in Dorset, where I do, uh, I discovered just how pivotal in many respects Dorset was to the Civil War because it was almost equidistant between parliamentary London and Royalist Cornwall. And then there was Royalist Oxford in the north. We were sort of bang in the middle. So every time the armies went anywhere, 
they were crossing through Dorset. It meant that Dorset changed hands, I think, three times during the war. And so you got all these uh, people were swapping allegiances, depending on who was governing the county. And I found it so much reminiscent of the arguments over Brexit that I, I was thoroughly enthused to write about it. Gosh, that makes it even more interesting. Yes, I'm going to have to go back and read it again, I think, to, to get even more from it. I'm, I'm interested in the role of strong female characters. Is that something that sort of you're, you're driven to do that's very important for you? Well, in a sense, it's how I see women. I really do. I mean, I grew up with very strong female role models, my grandmother was a suffragette. My mother was widowed because my father died when I was nine. She was widowed with three young children to bring up. And they were both incredibly independent-minded women, as am I, I have to say. And it's very hard to not write what you know. So that is how I see women. I suppose one of the questions I'm often asked is, uh, could such a strong woman as Jane Swift in the novel have existed? And I say, always say, well, you have to look at Charles Darwin's theory of evolution. If women weren't strong in the 17th century, in fact, they were inadequate, feeble-minded and incredibly inactive, then uh, we have evolved so much faster than men in 200 years but in another 200 years, frankly, there will be no room for men in the entire world because we will be completely unstoppable. Now, Charles Darwin would say that that is a patently absurd theory. Therefore, I'm afraid I subscribe to the view that most female historians do. That the reason women's lives weren't recorded in that period is because the scribes were male, often monks who knew absolutely nothing about women. And the people who commissioned the chronicles wanted themselves to be painted well. And they, of course, were the men. So the men were getting a very good press. The women were getting no press at all. Uh, but that doesn't mean they weren't uh, clever. They could read, certainly by the 17th century, most women could read. I mean, women of, you know, the, the middle class and up. And uh, so someone like Jane, I mean, there's a, a lovely character, a true character from the, uh, from the 16th century. Her name was Alice Leavers and she practiced medicine when it was actually forbidden. At that point, there was a law that said any woman who tried to practice medicine would be tried as a common criminal, in fact. And she practiced medicine for about 20 years and was then put on trial. But the Queen Elizabeth I, Lord Chamberlain, intervened. He came to the trial and he got the charges dropped, almost certainly with the Queen's blessing. And uh, Alice was allowed to continue practicing for the rest of her life. And I think the most interesting thing about that story is that it was a man who intervened. So the idea that men, even then, could not see qualities in women is wrong. 
gosh, I mean, that's extraordinary. You, you, it's almost unbelievable that that happened. Obviously it did, but it's, the world has come, well, this country has come so far in, in some ways that uh, it's hard oh, I, to I, conceive of it. I couldn't agree more. I mean, I think women have made enormous strides. I mean, it took, I, I often think the reason women became known <laughs> or were written about was through the 19th century novelists. So Jane Austen, Bronte's sisters, George Eliot. The minute women started writing, women became, their lives were being recorded. But I, I, I don't think our evolution has been quite as fast as some people would like to think. I think we've always been there, always been active, but we just weren't written about. And so did Jane present herself to you when you were contemplating writing the book, sort of fully formed with William as well, or did Jane come first? How, how did all that I know happen? Jane very definitely came first. And it was really important to me that she be neutral. And so sort of once I'd conceived of a neutral Jane who refused to take a side in the war, didn't want the war, wanted nothing to do with it. So because she is a physician and a skilled one, her tutor, the, 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 the one I had a long think about was her tutor. And I decided he had to be a very advanced man in the sense that he was willing to train a woman in the first place. But in addition that he, I, I have him, he, she has to sign a certificate saying that she will treat anyone regardless of their opinions, their beliefs, their religion, everything because I felt that was really important. And she, all the way through, wants to live up to that vow she made to Richard Thiel, her tutor. So those two, I had those two really from the start. And out of Richard, if you like, once I decided on Richard's character, so he's a much older man than she is. And, and once I got his character, then, I thought, of course, she would have learned so much of him and from him. So in a sense, she's a mirror image of this, this much older man who's lived a very long time, is wise, is kind, incredibly charitable. So that gave me her character. And then William, I wanted to be a mystery. So he was a mystery to me as well, I have to say. <laughs> when I started, I wasn't at all sure what he would be like. I just knew I wanted a, mis a mystery for a man. I think he works. <laughs> and what I found so interesting is, you know, these days, if you go for medical advice somewhere, you would expect broadly to get the same opinion if you consult a number of different people. Whereas the time of this book, you really did have pot luck, depending upon who you consulted and what. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, strange schemes that they would. Uh, well, know. you well you had to recognise that you know doctors, so qualified doctors, which meant they had been to Oxford or Cambridge, effectively, 
so they had university licenses to practice. They were few and far between. The majority of physicians operating at that time were quack solvers, effectively. Um, I mean, charlatans, they had mercury pills for the pops, syphilis, and they had leeches and anything that would, and emetics to purge. So purging, bleeding, and mercury pills was pretty much all there was. Except when you start to do the research and the research on medicine, the history of medicine, I totally advise anyone with two hours to spare, browse your internet. You will be utterly amazed. I mean, the maggot therapy, for example, for gangrene. The Italians were doing that two centuries earlier. And yet, by the time of the Civil War, and it was much more to do with there wasn't there wasn't time to treat people uh, at any length. I mean, it was very, very dangerous time to fight battles. But all they could do then was just chop the leg off and cauterize the wound, stop the bleeding. And but it, with a bit more time, maggots were a fantastic remedy for gangrene. Um, so I want all sorts of, you find out anything, but it, really you have to recognize that surgeons were largely the barbers, sometimes the butchers, and most physicians had no training, had no qualifications at all. So yes, it was potluck and people became known because their cures worked. Yes. And, um, and that comes through in the book. This, it's this knowledge as well, the medical knowledge, the historical knowledge. I mean, I'm, I'm interested because it's historical fiction, and I'm, I just take it at face value. But there are some people where that look into the, the details of the research so much that it's almost as if they expect it to be non-fiction rather than fiction. Is that quite a burden as a historical fiction writer? Well, not yet. <laughs> I've written two previous ones, so the last hours and the turn of midnight. And I have to say that the only query I received of that kind, and it did make me laugh, was that um, in the church on the domain where the story is set, I made the altar a wooden one. And apparently prior to the Reformation, all altars had to be made out of stone. And I had the sweetest email from a man who said, I, you know, it's a small point I just wanted to point out. And I wrote back to him and I said, you know, of all the things I thought I needed to research about the Black Death, it never occurred to me I'd have to research what altars were made of. Wow. So that was very sweet. It didn't didn't spoil the book for him, thank goodness. Gosh, no, I just thought this very interesting. I mean, were there any medical issues and treatments that you read about that you wanted to include, but then couldn't include because it just was too much for the story? Well, well that's the problem. I mean, I, I loved, for example, being able to include um, Thomas Sydenham of Winford Eagle and Laudanum, you see... I had no idea that laudanum was invented as early as it was. Actually, Paracelsus first invented it, 
but he didn't know which part of the recipe that he put together was the painkiller. And it was um, Sydenham who synthesized it all down and discovered it was the opium poppy seed. Um, he went on to become a very, very famous doctor, you know. I'd love to have um, been able to put more of him into the story because of that. Uh, he became, uh, uh, I think it was Charles II's doctor. He certainly went on to be one of the royal doctors. And the, I know the people who, who live in their house now. It's the most beautiful house, Winford Eagle. And uh, they're a very famous family in Dorset, all of Sydney. So I'd love to have included more of them just because of that. But yes, in a way, the story would have gone to 200,000 words. Um, in terms of medical issues, you have to recognise that William Harvey discovered that blood circulated around the body 20 years before the Civil War. and. Uh, that is such an interesting part of medicine that I'd love to have included a great deal more of that. But again, yeah, how long can a book be? <laughs> when you'd finished writing this book, I'm interested, did Jane sort of hang around in your mind? She's such a, for me, a, a strong character. I, I don't know if I could have just laid her, let her, let her go at that point. She's... Um... Well, I'm, I'm looking at, at the moment, I'm exploring uh, the Monmouth Rebellion, which is the period, so it's 40 years later, <clears throat> and the bloody assizes, which of course for Dorset, this, is, this was the most terrible period in our time. Uh, I think in the end, just in Dorchester alone, uh, nearly 300 were condemned to be hanged, drawn and quartered for taking part in Monmouth's rebellion. But in fact, the executioners got so tired after the first day <laughs> that they said they weren't going to, they literally went on strike. They refused to do any more hangings. So instead, they, the other uh, sort of 290 they were sent as slaves to uh, Barbados. So that was their fate in the end. But that's a marvellous period. And then when William of Orange had his glorious revolution, he sailed. In fact, we could probably have seen him from where we live. The sea's not far away. And he brought his huge armada of ships great big propaganda exercise in order not to have a war, sailed all the way up the channel to Brixham, I think it was, with everybody lining the shores, watching this massive armada sail by. And he then, of course, marched without ever raising his sword all the way to London and became king. A very, very clever piece of propaganda, what he did. I'm interested in the amount of time you spend on research and then plotting, um, because a lot of historical fiction authors, that their, their plotting can be tens of thousands of words. What, how do you devote your time? Well, uh, this is, uh, I, 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 give, I'm, I hope I give heart to lots of people out there who'd like to write, because I don't plot. I don't do a plot scheme at all. 
I do the research and then I've got, I know precisely how the story is going to develop along the lines of the parts. So if you go back, if we go to the Swift and the Harrier, uh, I wanted to make that each year of the war. So the way I've written it, as, as you'll know, is one event in each year. And that event is what brings Jane and William together, if you like. And so I selected what were going to be the important events from each year. So I knew those events would be the backdrop to whatever I was writing about it. And so the Siege of Lyme Regis, for example, which was the most phenomenal battle, really, when you think about it, eight weeks of constant bombardment of a tiny little town, and they withstood. They held firm and the Royalists were defeated. That is, to my mind, the most exciting story of the Civil War, actually, and very little known. So I knew I needed, so Jane was going to play a huge part in that simply because she is a physician. Uh, so if you like, I'm leading up to the, the first uh, part of the story, the first few chapters, are sort of leading up to that. And in terms of plotting, I mean, the reason I don't plot is that I did once for one of my crime thrillers. It never in the end got written because I spent three months writing the plot scheme and working out the story, sat down, and I'd moved away from the plot scheme within the first day because I was bored stiff. I knew the story. I didn't need to write it. Yeah. So when I write, and this is why I hope I give hope to people out there, I want to know what's going to happen next, just as the reader does. So for me, it's a voyage of, it's an exploratory journey, voyage of discovery. I love it. And I, I get that sense because it is, if I can say it, a page turner. You do keep wanting to find out what happens next. And so it's a very lively story. Well, you know, it does, if you do, if you are an exploratory writer, you do have to delete quite a lot because you, I, I always try and explain it by saying you start, you want to go from London to Glasgow. When you start in London, there's probably 120 different ways of either driving there or going by train or bus or whatever. Um, you set out, you... It, you can be diverted down a route that you probably don't want to go, and I'm talking about the writing there. Those are the bits you delete. You have to get back to where you knew you were on a good road. When you're on, but by the time you get to the outskirts of Glasgow, there is only ever one way in, actually, and that's that's how I see my writing. That's what I do. That's a really good way of, of putting it. Can I ask what your favourite part of the writing process is? Actually, the writing the story, I totally adore it. I just love it. I am engaged, 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 and it's it's. I'm never I'm never bored. You see, that's the thing. The fantasy I'm creating is comes alive. I just love it. The, the most boring aspects of writing, I think, 
But when you finally get to the galley proof, because you've read it yourself so many times as you've been writing it, you then read it when the editor comes back, do the edits, whatever, you know, agree or disagree with them, decide how what you want to do. You then reread it, reread it again. It goes on and on. By the time you get to the galley proof, you think, oh, my God, this is such a lot of rubbish. <laughs> But by the time it arrives in book form, yeah. then it's great. You think, oh, now it has reality. It's, it's a wonderful experience. So is writing an escape for you? Is that the world of your imagination is, is a safe place? No, because I, 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 I'm a very contented person. I love where I live. My office is great. I mean, if I look over you, we're doing a Zoom call, listeners. If I look over you, I'm looking straight out into my garden where my chickens are. So I, I sort of don't really need escapes. For me, it's it's much more, um, it's a joy. You know, it'd be like, I, I'm sure if I didn't write, I'd be constantly telling people, uh, boring them solid by telling them lots and lots of stories. I just love the... Um, I love storytelling. I love listening to other people tell stories, actually. And uh, no, I, for me, it's a joy. I've got the best job in the world, I think. And if you could go back and whisper something to yourself when you were writing your first book, what would that be? Oh, gosh. Keep going. Because I did have to keep going on that one because we couldn't sell it for love or money. That was the ice house, yeah. And I gave up on that totally and started the next book. And then I was utterly amazed to be told it's finally sold. That was great. And once it had sold here, it had been sold to 11 foreign publishers in about two weeks. I couldn't believe it. Apparently, it was all about getting it published in Britain. Anyway, by that time, you know, I was well into the sculptress. My agent said, uh, you are carrying the characters on in the next book, aren't you? I said, no, I gave up on them because you, you unsold books. So I've got a whole lot of new ones. And she was in a panic. She said, no one will buy it. Well, unfortunately, they did. And I was allowed always to write one offs, which I really enjoy doing. Wow, that's amazing. So, yes, if you could go back, you'd just say... Keep, keep on, going. keep, keep yes, going, keep going. That's what I, yeah, I say that to anybody who wants to write. You need stamina is what you need, far more than inspiration. I mean, you have to keep going. Don't give up. Keep going, keep going, and it, it will come through in the end. Well, we're jolly glad that you did keep going because this is a just a wonderful book and can't, can't wait to read more. So, Minette Walters, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. 
Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. That was The Swift and the Harrow by Minette Walters. Now, let's go on to something non-fiction. And, uh, oh, I don't know, there's just so much happening in in the world, in the UK at the moment. I'm keen to know more. Um, I've got a daughter studying politics. So, yeah, I'm just trying to educate myself. And this book came out, written by Jess Phillips, um, Everything You Really Need to Know About Politics, My Life as an MP. And I thought, yeah, let's, let's just see what it's like at the moment being an MP. Let's uh, hear more about it. I mean, in the news, we hear some you know, such awful stories and awful things happening. So I just thought, well, um, I trust what Jess Phillips has to say. So let's hear it. This is the blurb. This book is here to take you inside the daily realities of Westminster. I don't mean that it's going to bore you to death with a blow by blow account of what it's like to sit on the statutory instrument debate on naval regulations 1968 to 2020 but to demystify the places and practice of politics. From agonising decisions on foreign airstrikes to making headlines, from sitting in on history-making moments at the UN to eating McCain potato smiles at a black tie banquet in China, the life of a politician is never dull. And it's also never been more important. But politics is far bigger than Westminster. And in this book, Jess Phillips makes a compelling case for why now, more than ever, we all need to be a part of it. With trademark humour and honesty, Jess Phillips lifts the lid on what a career in politics is really like and why it matters to all of us. Hmm. Let's do the first sentence before I tell you what I think. OK. Introduction. Welcome to Parliament. The place is falling apart. You can't park in the underground car park today, Mum. There's some sort of alarm going off down there. Um. Right, so I read this book and at times I listened to the audiobook and the audiobook is narrated by Jess herself. Um, I would say that the book is a fascinating piece of work to read. 
it educates and informs and it does it in a very easy way. Um, I, when I listened to the audiobook, I felt Jess is such a passionate person that I felt it was even more political than the book, if that makes sense. So it depends where your politics lie um, as to which you would enjoy the most. And it may be that you can only listen to audiobooks. So obviously have a, have a go with that. I preferred the book version and I found it very intriguing and interesting. I, as I say, I'd learned a lot. It made me cross in places about so much injustice. Yeah, I did really enjoy it. Um, I just make the point about the audiobook versus the written book. But maybe that was just because I was in the mood for the, for the written book instead. Um, but I'm glad I read it. And it's one I'm going to keep and probably give to my daughter to read as well, because uh, it's educational. And that is a good thing. So now we come on to the definite. Well, is it non? Is it fiction? Who knows? It could be non-fiction. No. OK, so Jodie Taylor. I've talked about Jodie Taylor many times. She's a favourite author of mine. She has written the series, The Chronicles of St. Mary's. And then as a spin-off from that, she's written the Time Police series. She's got her new book, Saving Time, coming out and she's coming on the podcast. So I thought, right, there's only two books in the series before that. Let's read them again um, and just reacquaint myself with all the details. And the first time that I read these books, I did actually read the printed version. This time I listened to the audio books. And I love them. It brought so many new facts that I, well, I'd listened, I'd read it before, but it just, it just gave me a lot more listening to it the second time. I really enjoyed it. I found myself laughing out loud at times. Other times I was worried about what was going to happen. L let me read you the blurb. A long time ago, in the future, the secret of time travel became known to all. Everyone sees the opportunity and the world nearly ended. There will always be idiots who want to change history. And so the Time Police were formed, an all-powerful international organisation tasked with keeping the timeline straight at all costs. Their success is legendary and the time wars are over. But now the Time Police must fight to save a very different future, their own. This is the story of Jane, Luke and Matthew, arguably the worst recruits in Time Police history, or very possibly three young people who might just change everything. Now, if you're the sort of person that likes things, even fiction, to be very factual along the lines of what you absolutely know to be true and you will not be deviated from that path, then that's absolutely great. But this isn't the book for you. However, if you're someone who likes, I don't know, just to have like the, the head of the top of your head lifted off and your brain all freshened up and washed and just given new things to think about and humour, a lot of humour, um, however dry, however dark, all sorts of things. It's great. Jodie Taylor has a huge following and I will be reading um, her next book, Hard Time, I think, is the next one. Yes, Hard Time is the next one. So I'll be reading that for next week and then we'll have uh, Jodie on in a few weeks' time. Um, if you haven't read any of them and you're looking at the St Mary's series thinking that's just too many, I don't know when to get started on those, then you could just start with the Time Police. You'll get a sense of her humour and you'll get to know quite a lot of the characters and already start to feel at home. 
Um, and I just love it as well when they do visit St. Mary's in this book. Um, the the characters in St. Mary's were there. It's great. And the audiobooks are sensational. I don't know why I haven't really listened to them before, but very, very good. So there we are. Philippa, stop going on about it. Doing time. Jodie Taylor, first in the series. Excellent. Right, so the next one is one that I struggled with. Um, so another theme we're going to be having over the next few weeks is books on how to parent teenagers, in particular teenage boys. Um, I feel like I'm slightly out of my depth and I'm looking for as much help as possible. And there are a whole array of different books. So I've had some have been recommended to me. Some would just came up when I was looking at different ones. And I thought that sounded interesting. So we're just going to have a look at them. And if you don't have a teenager or teenage boy in your life, then, then that's fine. Um, there'll be another book afterwards. But uh, if you do have one, this might be a feature that might be of interest to you at some point in time. So, 15-minute parenting. Oh, my goodness, I didn't read the first sentence from doing time. Philippa. Sorry, I'll just go back and read that and then I'll go off. OK, here we go. This is chapter one of Doing Time by Jodie Taylor and the chapter's called A Brief History of the Time Wars. A long time ago, in the future, the secret of time travel became available to all. Well, you see, no, because that's just repeating what was on the blurb. So, no, let's go. <laughs> OK, the next chapter is called Jane. It's quite a short cha chapter. I'm where I am today because of a stuffed seagull. <laughs> there, we go. there we go. Anyway, right back to this book. So 15 minute parenting for teenagers. Creative ways to stay connected with your teenager. I've got to say, I won't be tagging the author in with this particular book. So here's the blurb. Is it really possible to play with your teenager? The answer is yes. Can I just say I didn't read this blurb before I got the book? OK, here we go. Back again. Not only is it possible, it is a, it is crucial to nurturing the surge in growth and brain development in this stage of childhood. Combining neurological insights into the key stages of adolescence with a roadmap for playful connection, Joanna shows you how to navigate your way through the teenage years and adolescent behaviour, including how to, and this is where I think it sounds good, Build self-esteem and confidence, establish a relationship of trust and respect, encourage emotional resilience, deal with mental illness, including anxiety, handle teenage friendships and when they turn toxic, brave conversations about sex, gender and sexuality, and finally tackle the dark side of social media. Um, so let's have a look. It's a shortish book. Well, actually, I, well, yeah, 280 pages. Um, let's do, there's an introduction, but I want to actually just go to the first chapter. Chapter one, how to be heard through those soundproof walls of the parent-adolescent relationship. Knowing what we want to say and knowing how to say it so that it can be heard are very different things. So with that, I was really committed to this book. I think this is absolutely going to be spot on. It's really going to show me that I need to reframe what I'm thinking, what I'm saying, all of that. Um, and so as it progressed, it just seemed to be, well, it just wasn't for me. It's, it is much more on, 
I don't know, like play acting and different. I don't know, just the toolkit that I was given to help communicate with a teenager were not ones that I would ever do. Um, and maybe that makes me the wrong person. I don't know. But just like uh, there's headings like sit down game, describe and draw, eye contact circle, swapses. I mean, it just didn't meet me where I wanted to be met. Let, let's say that. So I'm sure it's very useful for some people. But for me, the first book did not help me with what what I was looking for. So there we are. Um, yes, let's move on, shall we? Right, the last book is one I've just done for a book club and we had our book club meeting last night so I can really talk to you about it. It's called Where the Forest Meets the Stars and it's by Glendy uh, Vandera. Okay, here's the blurb. It's a long one, so uh, get comfortable. After the loss of her mother and her own battle with breast cancer, Joanna Teal returns to her graduate research on nesting birds in rural Illinois, determined to prove that her recent hardships have not broken her. She throws herself into her work from dusk to dawn until her solitary routine is disrupted by the appearance of a mysterious child who shows up at her cabin barefoot and covered in bruises. The girl calls herself Ursa and she claims to have been sent from the stars to witness five miracles. With concerns about the child's home situation, Joe reluctantly agrees to let her stay just until she learns more about Ursa's past. Joe enlists the help of her reclusive neighbour, Gabriel Nash, to solve the mystery of the charming child. But the more time they spend together, the more questions they have. How does a young girl not only read but understand Shakespeare? Why do good things keep happening in her presence? And why aren't Joe and Gabe checking the missing children's website anymore? Though the three have formed an incredible bond, they know difficult choices must be made. As the summer draws near an end and Ursa gets closer to her fifth miracle, her dangerous past closes in. When it finally catches up to them, all their painful secrets will be forced into the open and their fates will be left to the stars. Right, let's do chapter one. Chapter one, short chapter. The girl could be a changeling. Now, OK, let's be honest. Everybody at book club loved this book so much. They were all giving it really high marks. And I was the only one who said, I'm not sure. Um, for me, uh, now, I don't want to give the story away. Yeah, I don't. So the, the whole premise of this book is, is this girl a girl or an alien? That's basically what it is. Um, it's a love story. Um, maybe love of self or love of other people. Um, and it was particularly pitched, apparently, for people that like where the crawdads sing. Uh, I'm actually holding my head as I say this because the everyone else in the book club was absolutely certain what the ending of the book was. And although they were less happy with that ending, they enjoyed the journey and, and the story of the book. I was still left completely uncertain, and that's not a bad thing, as to what the girl was. But for me personally, if it was that she was a girl, then issues such as child protection, I, I just, I didn't, I didn't feel comfortable with it. Um, and there were other areas 
use of guns, the subject of depression, I just felt they weren't handled as I would like them to be. But everybody else loved it. So I think I think I've read it wrong. Maybe I need to read it again. Um, I don't know. I don't know what I was wanting this book to deliver that it didn't. So I, I tell you what, if any of you have read this book, please, can you let me know? Because it's a real I'm just in a quandary. I don't know. It's one of the only books, I think, where I don't know what I think. And that's not good, is it? Um, I just, yeah, I'm just completely perplexed by that. I went into book club last night feeling absolutely fine. But I was flabbergasted, I tell you, because everybody else was so positive about it. Yes, the only grumble was that the ending wasn't what they would have chosen, but the whole book and story they were really happy with. So I don't know. Uh, I Yes, who knows? I'm not going to tag the author in that as well because I haven't been entirely complimentary and I don't... Yeah, maybe it was me. I'm scratching my head. I'm holding my head. I'm doing all these sort of things and you can't see it. But basically, I don't know. Hope I hope that doesn't make me a bad person. I'm just confused.com and uh, anybody that's read this book... Where the Forest Meets the Stars, please let me know what did you think happened? What did you think was the truth about the girl and about the issues I've raised? Child protection, um, depression, guns. What were your views on that as well? I'd be very grateful. I could always do a follow up, but I think I, I think it's just me. It's me against the world. It's not against the world, but we did have quite a good discussion. So actually, it's a great book to have for a book club because... It's one that we've talked about possibly the longest, I think. I don't know. It was just a jolly good chat. But then I always love book clubs, so hey. So let's just go through the books we've covered again. The Swift and the Harrier by Minette Walters. And Minette very kindly joined us. That was wonderful. Then Everything You Need to Know About Politics by Jess Phillips. Doing Time by Jodie Taylor. 15-Minute Parenting by Joanna Fortune. And Where the Forest Meets the Stars by Glendy Vandera. And as I say, that book's title, I've got my hands up in the air because I don't know. I'm confused. Send help immediately. Maybe when it's not half term. Maybe that's the time to be clear about it. Anyway, I've got to go. You've got to go. Just look after yourselves. Have a great week. Um, and I'll speak to you very soon. Take care now. Bye bye. You've been listening to the Quick Book Reviews podcast. That's enough books. Said no one. Ever. See you again soon. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. 
Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.